Hello, and welcome to the A to Z of Tech podcast. Somehow, and I'm not quite sure how, we have made it all the way through the alphabet to the letter X. So for this episode, we're going to be diving into the topic of XR, which I think, and I'm sure my guests will correct me if I'm wrong, stands for extended reality. I'm joined today by Yana Zhu, who is a metaverse technology specialist here at PwC, by Dr. Alex Young, who is an NHS trauma surgeon and also the CEO and founder of the mixed reality training platform, Verti. And last but absolutely not least, Chris Fleischman, who is the founder and CEO of Arthur, which provides digitized workplaces and collaboration spaces. So thank you all for joining me today. Um, and it would actually be great to hear just a little bit from each of you about what it is you do um, and what your backgrounds are. So, Yana, if I might ask you to, to introduce yourself briefly to our audience first. Yeah, thank you very much, Louise, and it's really great to be here today. So I work in a dedicated metaverse slash extended reality team here at PwC. And essentially what I do and what the wider team does is we help clients as well as internal PwC teams globally across industries understand and leverage the value of extended reality technologies and the metaverse more recently as well. And that can range from advising them on the best strategy, on actually creating experiences and on deploying the hardware as well as software at scale and upskilling them uh, on how to best leverage the tech. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Alex, if we could ask you next. Hi, Louise. Uh, my name's Alex Young. I'm the founder CEO at Verti. I used to be a trauma and orthopedic surgeon, as you correctly said, training in the NHS, and then left that role around about three and a half years ago now to go full time on Verti, really with a mission to transform how people learn, train and perform at work, starting off in the healthcare sector, but now increasingly teaching things like soft skills to corporates through extended reality technologies. Fascinating. Quite a career change. I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about that in, in detail. And then Chris, yourself, please, as well. Yeah, thanks, Louise. Great to be here. I'm Chris Fleischmann. I'm the founder and CEO of Arthur. We focus on XR for the enterprise. So how can we use this technology to get people work together more efficiently? Um, ideally, as if they're in the same room, just with superpowers. I've been in AR, VR now for nine years really starting on some very, very rudimentary headsets with a lot of cables and all sorts of things. So it's been exciting seeing the technology evolve um, to what we have right now in 2022. Thank you. Um, looking forward to hearing a bit more about those superpowers as well that you mentioned there. So we'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, but firstly, Jana, if I might come back to you, could you explain, I suppose at quite a high level, but what what is XR? Um, what's it used for? And how is it different to some of the other terms that we might have heard sort of being, being flung about, like VR or, or AR, for example? Yes, absolutely. So um, as we said, XR stands for extended reality, not to be confused with uh, Extinction Rebellion. And <laughs> essentially, it is a, an umbrella term that really describes a range of different technologies that somehow in one way or another change or augment the reality around us and it's quite easy to conceptualize it as sort of a continuum where you have on one hand virtual reality which essentially 
immerses you completely in a fully digital world where you have no traces of your actual real real world environment around you anymore and on the other end of the spectrum having augmented reality that still allows you to see the world around you as it is but essentially superimposes a digital layer on top of it through 3d assets or through other imagery as well but altogether these technologies can be conceptualized as a range of extended reality um, technologies that are associated with hardware with software um, and a lot of very exciting use cases that we'll speak about a bit more. In terms of then what this concept, what VR as an umbrella term means, what are some of the, I suppose, the economic benefits that it, that it can bring as a technology? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So we did an economic analysis a while back now in uh, 2019, essentially looking at what the GDP boost and the actual contribution is that extended reality technologies can bring to the economy um, by 2030. What we essentially found is as a collective set of technologies, XR has the potential to add 1.5 trillion to the global economy by 2030. And that is really an impact that can be seen and is projected to be growing across a range of different industries, including product and service development, healthcare obviously is a big one, um, and training and development as well. And more recently, actually, um, PwC has published a big survey looking at consumers and what execs as well think of the metaverse and the underlying technologies such as VR and AR and how they might think this can develop in the near future. And actually, we found that 82% of the executives that we've surveyed are predicting the metaverse to become vital to their businesses in the coming years. So we're essentially seeing big growth there and a lot of potential for the tech. I mean, those are, those are not insignificant numbers we're talking about here. So I'm glad this is a topic we are covering when it comes to the podcast. Um, so, okay. Chris, if I turn back to you for a moment then, could you tell us a little bit more detail about Arthur and what it does, how did it start and, and what your what your role is in it now? Yeah, absolutely. So fundamentally what we're trying to explore is how we can use these new technologies to create an environment where people can work together completely unbound by geographic limitations. And I think it, it sounds so simple and usually in retrospective, a lot of things look very obvious. But you know, if, if we look at the, the transformation the world went through in, in 2020 with the pandemic, it we really have to remind ourselves that we thought it was perfectly normal to stand two hours in traffic in the morning to go to an office, to sit in a chair, to then anyways be in a video conference with the person that's in another office. And that's just you know, one side of, of the equation, which is you know, the limits we impose on us if we want to work in, in a way where we're physically constrained. Um, the other part is what can this technology do not by just removing this limit, but actually creating new ways of how we can engage with information, how we can explore strategies together, data, or, or make decisions. And this is the then the second part. Um, I refer to them as, as superpowers, but we can create 
this virtual office where you and I are in 3D together and, and we can work together, but we're just as much, much as we're not bound to our geographical location, we're not bound to physics or any other laws that we would have in our physical meeting. Want to have another whiteboard? Snap your finger. These kind of things, as simple as they, they sound, they completely elevate what we can do then in terms of interpersonal productivity, collaborative productivity. Thank you. And then if we might segue from virtual whiteboards to virtual back to have virtual hammers. Um, Alex, it would be great to hear a little bit about your your medical background and how you have come to be involved in this in this world of VR and what that means for you. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my background is pretty weird and wonderful. So as I mentioned, I trained uh, as a doctor in the UK, uh, in the Bristol area, for those of you that know your UK geography. Um, but I've also got a degree in education. Uh, and I previously had a couple of businesses in the education space. So I'm, I'm very much obsessed with how people learn and train and how they perform for the organisation for which they work. And certainly when I was training as a doctor and when I say training, that includes medical school, but also when you graduate, you never really stop learning. You're continuously learning, whether that is in a clinic, when you're doing an operation, you're always learning, always improving from every kind of patient interaction or colleague interaction you have. And one of the big things that I noticed was that I, as a surgeon, knew how to do an operation that was very, very standardized in terms of learning the actual steps. And when you go and see a patient, it's very algorithmic in the way that you manage someone or diagnose somebody because of that component of patient safety it has to be very standardized but where errors happen and where patient safety is put at risk is that sort of i suppose unseen untangible aspect which we tend to call soft skills in the corporate space or in medicine we call it human factors so that might be how you communicate with a patient or how you communicate with a colleague or in surgery how you make something like a decision under pressure during an operation if something goes wrong and it's those moments where you have to use your own decision making processes your own soft skills that really can be the the elements of sort of life and death decisions in, in healthcare and the way that that is taught in medicine is it's often done in what's called simulation centers which are these sort of uh, mocked up wards or mocked up uh, surgical operating theaters where you sort of go in you work with others in a simulated safe environment but they're extremely costly and to get all the people together needed to do that type of training it takes a lot of time a lot of effort and all of those tend to be quite episodic training environments um, so you could come in on one day do that and then not have another training session for say six months. Um, and that then leads to a lot of variability in the type of training you receive. So um, if I was to see a patient in a clinic in my hospital, I would get an experience that might be vastly different from someone in a hospital down the road, certainly be vastly different from someone in a developing nation, for example. And that leads to a lot of inequity uh, in learning and training, and therefore in how patient care is delivered. So. I sort of became obsessed with how can we standardize uh, that very kind of subjective, intangible element of sort of soft skills training. And when I was looking at ways to solve that with my kind of entrepreneur's hat on, um, really virtual reality and augmented reality stood out because we could use that to actually trick people's brains into thinking that they're in these real world high pressure environments and then get them to make those decisions under pressure 
and capture how they make those decisions because they're in these standardized environments that, that we can collect data from. Um, Jana, if I come back to you briefly, um, from your experience working both with clients, but also your experience of working with PwC internal initiatives as well, could you give us a couple of examples of, of what VR applications have looked like for maybe across different sectors beyond um, the experiences that Alex and, and Chris have shared there? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. I mean, obviously, collaboration is, is, a, is a big area and it's something that's applicable for, for any industry, especially during hybrid working time. So we've been working extensively to, to really bring that to life using software like Arthur um, to, to bring people together in these, you know, virtual, interactive, completely customized environments. Um, another thing that we've been running at scale, both with uh, lots of clients, um, but also internally is this idea of soft skills training that that Alex touched on, but for C-suite level executives specifically. So looking at things like race awareness or managing difficult conversations or building effective leadership, we've really found that VR can be such a, an effective and, and powerful tool. And um, a lot of our clients, you know, look for better ways to interact with virtual humans and really understand, you know, if we look at race awareness, for example, what is it like to be literally in the shoes of someone from a minority background and experience some of the microaggressions or, or racism that they might experience on a daily basis? And on the augmented reality side, uh, we've worked a lot with uh, our audit practice or sort of the teams that build things like annual reports to essentially bring to life some of the stats and the data that they show in there through it for example holograms of people um, that are activated through QR codes or things like uh, animations that you can essentially access with any smartphone or any tablet so it's very scalable in that sense. Those are brilliant examples thank you Anna um, and I think maybe if we can maybe all three of us begin to have a bit more of a conversation around some of these applications in the future um, I might turn that on its head slightly before we we think about that but Chris you mentioned you've been in this space for about nine years so I'd be I'd be really interested to get your perspective on how you've seen this type of technology evolve over over the kind of the past decade. I think it's really remarkable to to take a look at even VR hardware that is just two or three years old. If we look at collaboration one one major step were these all-in-one headsets just that I could give a client a, their own device. They didn't need to think of any other laptop or any, they, they could use it from home. They could use it from the office. They could even use it at the airport. And they could just jump into a VR meeting completely untethered free. It was easy to use. It was light. It was relatively comfortable. And it was just there, you know, it was just an effective way to, to jump into a meeting. If we now look at, you know, progress this year and the things that are around the corner, um, now we're breaking open even one of the biggest limitations that, that VR headsets had till this day. It's it's the fact that they are VR only. This 100% immersion that, that Jana was talking about is amazing for some specific types of applications where I really don't want to have anything from my real world around me. But for a lot of business scenarios, I want to see my keyboard. I want to see the surface of my desk. Maybe I want to see my coffee cup. And, and going further than that, I might still want to see most of my living room 
I want to see my cat roaming around. I, I maybe don't want this 100% commitment. And this is the exciting shift that we're seeing now in 2022 and, and in 2023 from virtual reality to mixed reality, where we no longer have to have only 100% VR, but, but where we can mix our world, our real world with the virtual world. And just as much as moving from you know, bulky, tethered, um, not all in one headsets towards these slick standalone headsets was a major enabler for our business. Um, everything we're seeing around mixed reality now is um, really looks the same way. If, if it's not even more powerful for, for our industry, what this opens in terms of possibilities for the end user. I think that the things that we're excited about in terms of the technology really is aligned to people's business goals. So if you think about, you know, one example that we're kind of obsessing over at the moment, which is sales training, um, you know, that the whole way that businesses do sales has again completely transformed and has become much more remote. Now, if you can engage your prospects and you can engage your salespeople, um, in an experience that shows off your product or helps your salespeople to uh, be more, uh, I guess, engaging in the way that they sort of explain your, your product and uh, improve their own communication skills using technologies like virtual reality, that can actually impact your bottom line. And we do a lot of sales training at the moment, um, taking people through examples of how to deal with objections or how to build rapport uh, with your customers in different virtual reality environments where you might be speaking with a virtual human, you might be watching an interactive uh, 360 video based training scenario. And, and suddenly the way that you learn and train is, is massively accelerated uh, for the workforce. And, and that will kind of get your sales people to ramp more quickly. It will hopefully stop them from churning and it will hopefully stop you from losing business. And I think those are kind of the examples that we're really really excited about and and in terms of the technology a couple of things that are really going to improve that and accelerate that we're seeing a lot of the new headsets implement things like eye tracking implement things like natural language processing around how they deal with kind of speech and, and allows that to be saved to the cloud and analyzed um, and really links that into actual real world practical data like people's conversion rates from your um, your, your kind of customer relationship management tool and looking at how virtual reality training can actually get you to close deals more quickly and get your employees to ramp. So I think those kind of elements of connectivity and those elements of bringing data towards virtual reality training and augmented reality training and showing the real world benefits are really the exciting things for us. To add to that as well, actually, um, what what I think is really exciting and what Alex touched upon as well is that idea that VR can in the future map facial expressions um, pretty accurately. And historically, that's something that VR isn't really great at. But if you think about examples like Alex mentioned around sales training and better interaction, one vital thing that we need as humans is to be able to see the expressions of other people and have that complement how we interact with each other and I guess being a psychologist by background, I always felt like, you know, it's great that we can come together in virtual worlds and interact, but that's an element that is still missing in some ways. And do I really feel like I'm capable of guessing just by the intonation of someone's voice, how they're feeling or what they are trying to communicate to me? 
Um, and that's something as well that we will see in the very near future with the newer headsets coming out from brands like Meta, potentially Apple, and that will completely change and enhance that idea of virtual interaction much, much further. And it's never meant to fully replace face-to-face -face interaction. I would argue, you know, there's nothing as great as the, the real deal of actually having someone in person in front of you, but it will still come very, very close to it. And once we approach being able to integrate other senses, such as, you know, olfactory stimulation or, or haptic technology, we can make XR a much more inclusive tech that really kind of replicates reality in a much, much more powerful way. And that's really exciting um, for, for us to come in the near future. I don't think any type of technology is ever going to replace or should, certainly shouldn't replace the actual in-person element of, of anything really. So um, we obviously do a lot of healthcare training. You're never ever going to completely replace that doctor-patient contact or uh, the need for people to kind of work together over an operating uh, table and help someone. Um, but what you can do is you can massively accelerate uh, the time it takes for them to get proficiency. And then when they are in those in-person uh, encounters, they're performing at a much higher level, a much safer level, uh, and, and a, a level where they're much less stressed because they've been through these scenarios in a, in a much more accessible standardized training environment. Um, I think in terms of like the, the wider use of, of virtual reality at the kind of consumer level, um, I think because you're asking people to put on a headset, um, there's always going to be an element of, I'm going to use this for a set period of time, and then I'm going to go off and do something else. I, I don't think for the most part anyone is going to sort of stay in a headset uh, like in the film Wall-E, where they have to be rescued by a small robot, uh, even though that would be very, very entertaining. Um, there's always going to be an element where I think people will just naturally understand that they will go and they will use the experiences for set tasks during their day at their workstation, um, and then they will go back to doing their, their normal business. Um, that's certainly my take. I don't know if uh, Chris or Yanni have any other contrasting views. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it's never a case of using VR for the sake of using VR or moving completely digital. It's really about finding where the technology can add the most value and developing the features and its capabilities accordingly. It's very much a, a market that is dictated by the need that the industry has for it. And accordingly, the, the applications and the successful deployments that really add value come, come with it. Yeah, may, maybe to add to this, um, I, I do agree with Alex in the near future that this will be a purpose-driven device, or this will be purpose-driven devices. Um, I do think, however, that we are moving towards a world where eventually we will replace any physical screen that you might be using right now with a much more powerful XR, MR headset. Maybe it's going to be contact lenses or, or something you can actually wear the whole day that is not bulky, is not heavy, but is incredibly easy to wear and actually allows your neck muscles to relax for once because you're not looking down at your phone, you're actually looking into other people's eyes and you're looking in, in the world. It's just instead of this dystopian view that we become slaves of the virtual world, I think, I think we're gonna be pretty smart about making the virtual world a slave of the real world. As in, I will wear this, this headset and it will give me you know, contextual information where the next restaurant is while I walk 
at the same time I can pretty much um, appear in my grandmother's living room and say hi to her and, and her dogs. And no matter where we are in the world, we, we can just connect. Um, so, so for me, it's a little bit more the, the question, what kind of world we, we want to live in? Because uh, fundamentally, I, I, I do think that there is this incredible force for good behind abolishing geography playing too big of a role in our lives. And I think they will show us a, a way, a, a variation of the world that is beautiful and full of information and full of interhuman communication. Um, again, I think the reason why I'm so so positive about this is I've it's it's really hard to look at the current devices and understand where this can go because we are inherently built to look at the limitations of the realism, the the heaviness of the device. Of, there, there are so many reasons why this is not going to work right now if you just look at what you have in your hands. But this is not the the way innovation works. This is not the way new technologies new technologies emerge. If I look at, if I had told myself nine years ago when I had the first AR headset on, on my head that this is what we can do right now, I, I think it would really come very, very close to magic what we can do already right now. And if I look at the next couple of years, it's just going to be even more powerful. So I do think we're moving towards this world. Before we switch to brain-computer interfaces, which is then probably the next um, uh, next topic, but uh, yeah, so I think that that's going to be an, an an interesting world, and I think it's it's up to us to shape this technology the right way. Well, I think unfortunately we've run out of time, but that was such a lovely positive note to end the discussion on. So thank you, Chris. I think that was a really great and thought-provoking takeaway for us. So I really appreciate that. Um, and to all three of you, Alex, Yana and Chris, thank you so much for joining me for, for this podcast and taking the time to, to contribute to, to this, this discussion. Um, I personally really enjoyed hearing about this type of technology, um, some of the benefits it can bring around inclusivity and how it can help to change perspectives. Um, and maybe reassuringly, how it will complement in-person interactivity rather than completely replacing face-to-face -face and in-person collaboration. So I think... All that leaves me to say is um, also thank you to our listeners for joining us um, and please join us for the next episode, which will be the penultimate letter in the alphabet um, for Y. So thank you. <laughs>